pray with me, please? Lord, we belong to you in body and in soul and life and in death. So reveal that again in your word that we belong to you, your words which are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <laughs> Greetings in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Joel Borsma, one of the pastors here on staff, have the great privilege to primarily uh, work with so many stellar blue chipper Hope College students <laughs> that reside right across the road. Hope alums, oh my gosh, they're all over the place. Liv and Olivia and the Gillespies, what a gift. Uh, gosh, got me off track here. I, I kind of went off script. Um, a phrase I love to use with college students uh, here today um, opening up God's word, which I do so often with students, a phrase I love to use, God's word, sweeter than honey and better than money. <laughs> and I commend it to all y'all as well. Michigan summertime keeps rolling along. Anyone else feeling that? Dang. Uh, last week, Pastor Anna and I had a blast serving out at Camp Geneva, just a couple miles uh, uh, away from here on the shores of Lake Michigan, a place that's had a huge impact on my own testimony and vocational trajectory, sacred uh, grounds which have a special knack for connecting kids with Jesus Christ. And so later this week, I have the privilege of officiating the wedding of two Camp Geneva alums. How awesome is that? Power couple Hope grad, Case Vanderzee, Grand Canyon grad, Emma Gardner, who met while serving as camp counselors. A book I gave to Case and Emma and love to give to folks preparing for the premarital journey is Tim and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. Maybe some of you are familiar. Not a perfect book, but one that I think offers rock-solid biblical and practical wisdom. And it's also where I first encountered these lines, again, maybe familiar to some, which are just vintage Keller. We are at once more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed. And at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. Incidentally, it might find its way into the wedding sermon next Saturday, but it's the heart of the gospel. God's gift for the ages in his son, Jesus. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed. More loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So we've got the momentum rolling. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Paul, 
a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and who was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome beloved by God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, for your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented to reap some harvest among the Gentiles as well as the rest of you. For I am under obligation both to Greek and barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's how the Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Romans. Paul, a completely changed man. Remember Paul, formerly Saul? Actually, his name was never completely changed. He was known by Paul and Saul throughout his life still, but we've met Paul a couple times in the book of Acts this summer, and here is Paul writing to the churches in Rome. You're welcome to turn to it. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The epistle to the Romans, wrote the great preacher and teacher John Stott, is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the entire New Testament. And gospel is clearly on Paul's heart and mind writing to Roman believers and by extension writing for us. Verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
The gospel's power for salvation in Romans has renewed the minds of giants from Augustine, Kelvin, and Luther to the Wesley brothers and Karl Barth. Barth, during World War I, published a commentary on Romans, which is said to have dropped like a bombshell on the playground of theologians. And closer to home, the gospel's power for salvation in Romans has transformed hearts on college campuses. At one point in the early 90s, then dean of the chapel, Ben Patterson, along with two local pastors, Tim Brown, any, anyone recognize that name? Tim Brown and Bill Bronson and uh, Patterson recited the book of Romans in its entirety at Dimnit Chapel. Romans 1 shows us that from beginning to end, the gospel is the power for salvation. It calls people from every language and tribe and nation to belong to Christ. Verse 6. And it also calls believers of all kinds, Jew and Gentile, and by extension, Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical, Reformed, Pentecostal, anyone who belongs to Christ, to the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. Also, verse 6. So in a word, the impact of Romans is good news, which is this. More sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe and at the same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Or if you prefer it stated theologically, I love it, God's justification of sinners by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Thanks be to God. For the Apostle Paul, the good news of Jesus Christ grounds all doctrine and life. Any of you know the name Dorothy Sayers? Sayers was an honorary inkling, friend of C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and their tribe, also translated Dante's classic, The Divine Comedy. Sayers has a great line where she says, the gospel is the greatest drama ever staged, and then goes on to say this. Now, we may call that doctrine exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then words have no meaning at all. That God should play the tyrant over man is a dismal story of unrelieved oppression. That man should play the tyrant over man is the usual dreary record of human futility but that man should play the tyrant over God and find him a better man than himself is an astonishing drama indeed. Any journalist hearing of it for the first time would recognize it as news. And those who did hear it for the first time actually called it news and good news at that. Though we are likely to forget that the word gospel meant anything so sensational. Now, that is a jam-packed quote, so let me just bring the point home. All faithful living after Jesus Christ reflects 
the gospel's astonishing drama. The man from Nazareth, crucified at the hands of the world's tyrants only to be raised from the dead and declared the Son of God in power. Which is to say the scope of the gospel is cosmic and universal and the scope of the gospel is also personal. It's both and. Are you still tracking with me? Those are the two things we're going to hang with for the next few minutes. The gospel is cosmic and universal in scope. And the gospel is personal. It's for you and it's for me. So first, looking now at verse 1, Paul set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the scriptures concerning his son. The gospel's promises are cosmic and universal in scope. Back to the beginning in Genesis, God said, let there be, and there was. And he said it was good and beautiful and charged it with God's grandeur. God's eternal power and divine nature clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. That's a little bit later in Romans 1, verse 20. And when sin and death reigned from Adam to Moses, Romans chapter 5, God's promises were sealed in the form of covenant, the great biblical word meaning God's unconditional commitment and loving kindness. Some images of that being after Adam and Eve's fall, God gives garments to cover the shame of their nakedness. During the flood, an ark for Noah and his family after a lifetime of barrenness, a son for Sarah and Abraham. For Moses, man in the desert and water from the rock. For David, five smooth stones and a royal lineage. For Amos and Isaiah, the prophetic word of grace and judgment. So God's covenant finds its dramatic climax that is cosmic and universal in scope where the first Adam rebelled against God, he sends a son. Jesus, the second Adam, who took it upon himself to die for the ungodly. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more has the free gift by grace of the one man, Jesus, abounded for many. This is the astonishing drama of the gospel that Sayers was pointing to, beginning with God's creation, sealed in the covenant, accomplished by God's grace upon grace in his son, Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. God's gospel is cosmic and universal in scope. It was promised beforehand through the prophets in the scriptures concerning Jesus. So here's the second point, also in crucial connection with the first point, and that is the gospel is personal. Looking now at verse 16, when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
one of the phrases we like to use around pillars, we want to be a place where your name is known and your story is heard and your questions are honored. And it's just another way of saying the gospel is personal. It's for all. It's for you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. God has knitted each of you in your mother's womb. God has called you by name. God sees your sin and struggle and heartache and scars. God knows your desires and longings and hopes. The gospel is personal in that it's for you who are called to belong to Jesus. Moreover, the gospel is personal in that it's after the way of Jesus, patterned after the form of life that reflects Christ. So to unpack that a little bit, here's Eugene Peterson in a book called The Jesus Way. Jesus is an alternative to the dominant ways of the world, not a supplement to them. We cannot use impersonal means to do or say a personal thing. And the gospel is personal or it is nothing. Do our ways derive from the world, the flesh, and the devil of which we have been well warned for so, for, for a long time? Or do they serve life and the kingdom of God and the following of Jesus in which we have been given a long apprenticeship. Another jam-packed quote, so here's the point I'm after, to fully and personally participate in the gospel, we need to look to a person, and the person is Jesus. I mentioned earlier that uh, Pastor Anna Erickson and I were Geneva chaplains last week, had a golden week running around playing capture the flag, didn't polar bear, didn't do the polar plunge in Lake Michigan, but did witness it. And then later in the day, enjoyed 73-degree swimming in Lake Michigan. But best of all, we got to witness college-age counselors pour into the next generation in the name of Jesus. Just so powerful to witness. So one of the students I had the privilege to connect with is an international student, and I'll call him Mark. Mark loves the Christian community at Geneva, so he's back for a second summer. Received the faith from godly parents. He was telling me that his mom, uh, as an evangelist in their home country, was going around to neighboring villages as she carried him in the womb. Talk about not ashamed of the gospel. So Mark, a talented musician, also wants to serve the church. So he's pursuing theology and biblical studies. So we had a great conversation, and as we were wrapping up, I asked him how I could pray for him, and he had been reflecting on these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not an easy word, but I think it's worth sharing. So what Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So I'm connecting this to what Peterson is saying. Jesus, 
an alternative to the dominant ways of the world, not a supplement. Where do our ways derive from? Do they serve the kingdom of God? Do they follow Jesus? To fully and personally participate in the gospel, we have to look to Jesus and follow him. So in closing, here's the good news. Jesus Christ is alive, and he offers us grace upon grace, and he gives us the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation that's cosmic in scope. Salvation that's personal. It's for you. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ, to follow him, to participate in his kingdom purposes. Final word from Sayers. That man should play the tyrant over God and find him a better man than himself. That is Jesus Christ. Is an astonishing drama indeed. Perhaps the drama is played out now and Jesus is safely dead and buried. Perhaps it is ironic and entertaining to consider that once at least in the world's history, those words might have been spoken with complete conviction, and that was upon the eve of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,